Let us now go to our God and our Savior in prayer. Let us pray together. Almighty God, a most gracious, merciful, kind, omnipotent, omniscient, faithful Heavenly Father, O Lord, our Lord, How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. O living God, we come to you this evening rejoicing. We come to you, O living God, with great gratitude. But we also come with broken hearts because of our sin. And before we come to you rejoicing in the events for this evening, before we come to you bringing our petitions, we ask you, O living God, to forgive us the multitude of our sins O Lord, it comes so easy over our lips. Forgive us our many sins. So often we mean nothing by saying this. But this evening especially, O Lord, O Holy Spirit, we ask you to bring those sins that we truly need to repent of, not only feel sorry for, but to repent of, to bring them to the forefront of our minds, that we can truly turn away from them, that we can truly repent and that we can be cleansed by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. O Lord, help us, for we are a needy people. Cleanse us from all of our sins and receive us as your children. And allow us to praise you, to lift up, to exalt, to magnify your holy name, O living God in heaven. We rejoice because of the events that lie before us this evening. The ordination of our dear brother, Chadas Joshkun. O Lord, a brother from a faraway land, you have brought him here to us, to Grand Rapids. It has pleased you to allow us as a church to care for him and his family, to befriend him, and for him to serve us so faithfully. It has pleased you to give him a first-rate education, not only for the mind, but also for the heart, that his faith may never be merely an intellectual exercise, but an experience of the grace and the holiness of his God in Jesus Christ. O Lord, how grateful are we on this evening. And we ask you, living God, we invoke your name to be among us, to lift us up into the heavenly places, to have fellowship with your people, to bless this brother of ours, to equip him, to make him ready, to bless his ministry, whatever lies before him, that this will be truly an event that will be in our memories for the rest of our days that we'll always look back to with great fondness 
and praise. An event that will drive us even in years to come to sing the doxology. O Lord, be with us, we ask it this evening. When another man will be ordained as minister of the word and sacraments in the services of his great general, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only king of his church. We ask you to be with us, to bless us. We ask you also to bless Dr. Barrett, that the word will go forth with power, convicting us, healing us, correcting us, directing us, comforting us. And over all, we ask you, living God, that your name be magnified, that all these things that we have planned for this evening may contribute not to the glory of a man, but to the glory of thy name. And we ask all these things, not in the name of a man, not in the name of a sinner, not based on our own righteousness, for we have none. Our righteousness is but filthy rags. But we ask it in the name of the King of kings and Lord of lords, the name above all names. We ask it in the name and for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, who rules over all. Amen. Our offering this evening will be for Turkish mission. At the special request of our brother Chadash, the word will be brought this evening by Reverend Dr. Michael Barrett, Senior Research Professor for Biblical Studies and Professor of Old Testament at Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary. Please, Brother Michael. My dear brother, it is a great honor to be here tonight to give a word of the Lord on this very special occasion of your ordination in the gospel ministry. 
And I pray that the Lord will go with you and that his hand would be upon you for good in the days ahead. I'm taking a text this evening, our meditation, from Exodus chapters 3 and 4. But I want to begin by looking at Paul's admonition to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul says to Timothy, his son, his child of the gospel, in many ways, brother, as you have been my student for these years, I feel that relationship to you as well. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. To be strong, to be strong, to be strengthened in the Lord for the gospel ministry to which you are being called. I'm going to be speaking tonight primarily to Chattis. I don't know in the four years that you've been here that I pronounced your name the same way twice. But you know who I'm talking to. I'm speaking primarily to our brother this evening, and the rest of you are quite willing and happy to listen in, if you will. But this is a word that I have especially in my heart for our brother. There's something that is quite intimidating about the gospel ministry. The minister of the gospel is engaged in life and death work. And who is sufficient for those things? And this ministry is not a voluntary service. Indeed, it is a matter of compulsion. It is due to the call of God. But yet the call of God does not in itself dispel the intimidation and the natural fears and uncertainty about the ministry and about your future. Being aware of weakness is good. Indeed, being aware of weakness and insufficiency in the gospel ministry is a qualification for the ministry. An awareness designed to make you look away from yourself and indeed to be strengthened by the grace which is in Christ Jesus. I say our meditation this evening is coming from Exodus 3 and 4, where we have the call of Moses into the gospel ministry. And I think there are some lessons here that will be profitable for our meditation this evening. I want to use this as our charge, looking at Moses then as a paradigm for ministry. Moses was a great man, but he was not without flaws. And he saw his weakness, but he understood that his greatness was not any exercise of his own abilities, but rather his ability to serve was the gracious operation of God. When God called Moses, he was filled with excuses. He was filled with skepticism, with doubt, with hesitation. But God answered his every excuse. And what I want to do from these two chapters this evening is to look at some of the excuses that Moses had for going into the ministry and how the Lord, by his grace, strengthened him to deal with those issues. And I say a consciousness of your weakness is an important qualification for the ministry of the gospel. I dare say I'm always suspicious of those men who think they have everything that is necessary 
for the ministry of the gospel. Suspicious of those who think that they are God's answer to the entire work of the kingdom. There must be that sense of insufficiency. As Paul considered the life and death issue of the gospel, savor of life unto life, a savor of death unto death, who can be sufficient for these things? But it is only going to be as you find your strength in the grace of Christ that you will find the sufficiency for the gospel ministry. There are four things then, four different excuses that Moses raised before the Lord when God called him into this ministry. You recall the beginning of Exodus chapter 3, Moses had been in exile for some time, was in the wilderness, and now he sees this strange sight, the burning bush. And he goes and investigates that burning bush. He takes his shoes off because that was holy ground. But it was at the burning bush that God instructed Moses and God called Moses to the ministry that he had before him. At the burning bush, Moses was called to go to the land of Egypt to be the deliverer of his people, the Lord's people, from that house of bondage. What a call. A people in bondage, a people that could not free themselves on their own energies, but yet God had a purpose of grace and God was going to manifest his power and his sacrifice in the Passover in bringing these people out of that place of bondage. But nonetheless, notwithstanding the promise that God gave to Moses from the very beginning that he would deliver the people, Moses was filled with fear. He was filled with trepidation as to the magnitude of what it is that God was calling him to do. His first excuse was that he was inadequate. And here's the proposition that I want us to understand, that it's by the grace, by the grace of the divine presence that you can find strength against your inadequacy. Can you see it? Moses had received the call, but in verse 11, in verse 11, after the Lord had called him, Moses said to God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Now, that was not an existentialistic question as Moses was trying to get in touch with his inner feelings, but a question rather that brought him to the place where he recognized there was nothing in him sufficient to go before Pharaoh and make this demand that God was making him to do. It seemed as though there was a great disconnect between himself and the mission. The task was so great. Pharaoh was the greatest man on the face of the earth at this time, a powerful man. And here was Moses, and now he's called by God to go into Pharaoh and declare to Pharaoh, say to Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. Moses says, who am I? This task is so great that I, I'm not sufficient. There was a lack of self-reliance, and that was good. Self-reliance uh, is a thing to be avoided. I said we must recognize, and you must recognize, your insufficiency in and of yourself, notwithstanding all of your training, notwithstanding the sense of calling that you have before God. In and of yourself, you're weak. In and of yourself, there is no sufficiency. And Moses recognized that. Moses recognized that. That kind of self-examination that leads to paralysis is sin. 
But that kind of self-examination that leads to a sense of dependence upon God is the proper course of action for every minister of the gospel. So I say it's the grace of divine presence that strengthens against the inadequacy. Moses says, who am I? Who am I to do what you're calling me to do? And God says, not to worry. Not to worry. Look at verse 12. Here's the divine presence. I will be with you. I will be with you. Notwithstanding that you don't know who you are, notwithstanding that you see your weakness, not to worry, I will be with you. And it is that sense of the presence of God, it is that sense of the divine presence of the Lord with you as you conduct the ministry that will ultimately be your sense of strength, will ultimately be your sense of confidence in the ministry. Not a promise that it's going to be an easy way. The Lord is not promising Moses that everything was going to go well for him. In fact, he told him just the opposite. He said, when you get in there and tell Pharaoh to let my people go, Pharaoh's going to say no, and there's going to be opposition. And I dare say, brother, you're going to be facing opposition uh, in one way or another as you enter into the ministry that God has called you to do. But I say, ultimately, it doesn't matter who you are. It is that sense and that experience in your own heart and your own soul of the presence of God that will remove and give you strength against any sense of inadequacy. And Moses never knew an hour without the divine companionship. He never knew a difficulty without divine aid. He never knew a Red Sea without the demonstration of God's right arm. So as you strengthen yourself in the ministry, be conscious in your heart, in your soul, be conscious of the presence of God, that he will not leave you, that he will not forsake you, that he has called you and he is not going to forsake you. The sign that God was giving Moses at this time, I'm going to bring you right back to this place. Here's the sign that I am with you. Here's the sign that my presence is with you. You're going to bring this people out, notwithstanding the opposition, and worship me right at this very place. The promise of God, but particularly here the emphasis on the presence of God to take care, to strengthen you against the inadequacy. But the second proposition is this, that the grace of divine revelation is the strength against ignorance. The grace of divine revelation is the way to strengthen yourself against ignorance. Look at the next excuse, verse 13. Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your father sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? I don't know what to say. I don't know how to answer that question. I'm ignorant, if you will, of that question that these people are most likely to ask me. Worried that the people would ask something that he didn't know. And that's going to be a constant uh, issue for you as it is a constant issue for all of us. What if? What if the question comes to us? What if the circumstance comes to us that we don't know how to answer? Well, what is the answer? How do we strengthen ourselves? It is of the divine revelation. What a statement the Lord gives 
in answer to that question, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you the revelation that God gives of himself, the word of God. God gave Moses a word, not to worry what to say. And you think of all the prophets that came after Moses. This was the assurance that God was giving to them. There was a Jeremiah, for instance, uh, who saw again his weakness and his insignificance, uh, his inexperience. I don't know what to say. God said, you just say what I tell you to say. You go where I tell you to go, not to worry, I will fill your mouth. Same thing to Ezekiel. Same thing to Ezekiel. You simply say, thus saith the Lord. That's the message. That is the message that's going to solve your ignorance, and it's going to solve, if I dare say, the ignorance of the people that are asking that question. God's word. That was the word that Moses needed. God revealed himself. And that's the great thing. That's the great thing about the ministry of the gospel. We don't have to be original. We don't have to be original. My guess is you've heard me say in some class or another, and I tell students on a regular basis, that in our ministry, in our field, novelty is not a virtue. It is not a virtue to be novel, to come up with some new thing. No, it is the burden of our ministry to be able to put our finger on the text of Scripture, to put our finger on the text of Scripture and declare this is what God says. And that has to be, that has to be for you, your lifelong mission. Thus saith the Lord. Be sensitive. Be sensitive to the word. Perhaps you've heard me say also in classes from time to time that as ministers, we can only give to people. We can only give to others the overflow of what we ourselves have taken in. If I simply speak in general terms, if I just give the theory, then I'm just a theorist. If I don't practice what I preach, I'm a hypocrite. But it is for us, it is for us personally to have that experience and that time that we spend in the book. You know the book. Remember how the Lord explained this to Ezekiel after God called Ezekiel to the gospel ministry. He showed him those scrolls, those rolls, and he says, I want you to eat those scrolls. Eat that word. Eat that word. A picture here of assimilating to yourself. You assimilate to yourself. That word becomes part of you. And as that word becomes part of you, then you are able to give that word to others. So we don't have to worry. You don't have to worry as to what it is that you're going to say. It is this book. You be a man of this book. You put your finger on the text of this scripture and be able to proclaim to the people, thus saith the Lord. If they like it, okay. If they don't like it, okay. It's not your word. It's God's word. It's, and that's where the authority comes. The authority comes not from giving your opinion. I have no time. I have no times that for, for, for those pulpits that become platforms for giving Opinions, even though they be a ministerial opinion. My, my, I have opinions on a lot of things, as I sure you do. I have many opinions, and my guess is that my opinions, if you don't agree with me, my opinions are better than yours. I'm pretty confident of that. Although my opinions may be better than yours, they are absolutely with no more authority than yours.
My authority is not in my opinion. My authority as a gospel preacher is thus saith the Lord. So I trust that what you've learned in exegesis, what you've learned in theology, what you've learned in all the other disciplines will come into play as you perform the ministry that God has given to you. Be able to say before your people, this is what God says. So it's the word of God. It's revelation. It's the revelation of God, then, that is the strength against ignorance. The third proposition is this, that it is the grace of divine responsibility that is the strength against your incredibility. The grace of divine responsibility is strength against your incredibility. Look what Moses says now in chapter 4 in verse number 1. And Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me. They will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. They're not going to believe me. They're going to think my message is incredible. That is without any basis for belief. Great danger here, the potential weakness that we want to always please man. The fear of God must supersede the fear of man, but so often, so often this is part of, I suppose, the flesh of every minister that he wants, he wants the people to like what he says. He likes the people to enjoy the message, to be edified by the message, to be able to stand at the vestibule and shake hands and say, oh, preacher, what, what a blessed word that was today. Oh, how I was fed. Oh, that's, we, we desire that, sure. Feeds us. It feeds us. But after all is said and done, it is not the accolades of man, it is not the accusations of man that is our primary concern. We have the fear, we have the fear of failure, the fear of rejection. We tend to take stuff personally in his hand. What's the Lord teaching Moses here? I'm in control. I'm in control of things. You're not responsible. Moses had nothing to do with causing that rod to turn into a snake. He had less to do with picking up that snake by the tail and making it a rod again. That was not within the domain. That was not within the sphere of Moses' ability or Moses' power. The Lord says the results of this are in my hand. There's the rod to the snake. There's the leprosy that was restored. There's the water that turned to blood. No prophet. No prophet like unto Moses. But the results, and this is the key here, the consequences, the consequences, and how people respond to your preaching, how people respond to the ministry that you have, it's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is simply to proclaim, thus saith the Lord. This is what God says. You have no control. You have no control over what people will think of you. You have no control over how people are going to respond to your message. And just by the way, don't believe everything that you hear on the way out of the church. Yeah. How do people respond? It's God's business. You just be faithful. You just be faithful to the word. You be faithful to the calling that God has given to you and let the results be in the hand of God. And what better place is there to be? Christ says that he's going to build his church. 
so that not even the gates of hell, the defensive system of hell itself, can withstand the advancing of the church of Christ. Christ's church is going to advance, with or without us, with or without us. But what a privilege it is. What a privilege it is to be part of that, to be used by God in one way or another for the extension of his kingdom. But don't worry. Don't beat yourself up. Don't beat yourself up when your word seems to be rejected by men. The gospel is the savor of life unto life to some. It's the savor of death unto death to others. And that's in the hand of God. The results are in the hand of God. And the last thing I say is this, the last proposition, that it is the grace of divine sovereignty that is strength against inability. The grace of divine sovereignty is strength against inability. Verse 10 of chapter 4, after seeing all those signs, all those proofs that God had called him and God was going to help him and God was going to supply him with the necessary power for the ministry, what did Moses say to the Lord? Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. Either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Slow of speech. I don't have the gifts. I don't have the abilities that others have. I can't speak like him. I can't do what he does. And there's always the tendency to compare yourself with somebody else who has a more proficient gift in one way and you can and it's a foolish thing you are what you are you are what you are you are what God has made you to be I am what God has made me to be I know my gifts and I know what gifts I don't have and I can look at the gifts of others I can look at the gifts of other ministers and other believers and say I admire those gifts I admire those gifts as they are obviously the evidence of God but to beat myself up for not having those gifts is foolish don't compare yourself with others. Moses, I, I can't talk like Aaron. I can't talk like others. What does God say? The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. The Lord made Moses the way he made Moses. The Lord knew how Moses talked, how Moses spoke. He knew that he was slow of speech, if you will, that whatever the impediment might have been, God knew that. But God had a purpose for Moses. And it was foolish for Moses then to look at Aaron or to look at someone else that had a greater ability for speech, greater ability to preach than he God says, quit it. I made you the way I want you to make you. I have given you the gifts that I want you to have. There are things that I can do that God's given that no one else can do, but there are so many things. And I can look at others and I can see. I can look at some of my colleagues at the seminary and say, oh, I admire those guys. I wish I had their brains. I wish I had their skills. I wish I had their ability. I wish, I wish, I wish. But God has made me. God has made me the ways he made me. 
And God has made you the way he's made you. And so you use, you use and you rest upon the abilities that God has given to you. And in your weakness, in your weakness, you find strength. There is strength. This is why Paul said to his son, strengthen yourself by the grace which is in Christ Jesus. You're not going to solve the problem here. Moses wasn't going to solve the problem by going to some speech therapist. How was going to be the problem solved? No, it was resting upon the fact that God had made him that God knew what he was doing when he called him. And so it is for you. God has called you into the gospel ministry. You've given your testimony. You've been examined. You've been approved. And now you've come to this very special night in which hands are going to be laid upon you, setting you apart for this ministry of the gospel. I pray. It is my desire and my concern for you, that you might be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I bid you well, my dear brother. May the Lord's hand be upon you, and may your hand, your finger, be upon the text of this book, or for the rest of your life, no matter where it is or circumstances in which you preach, that will become clear to others, to all that hear you, that this is the word of God. May God help you. May God bless you. For Jesus' sake, amen. Our gracious Lord, how thankful we are for the fact that you use weak vessels, just clay pots, no significance, no value in themselves. But these clay pots and these empty vessels in your hand can be the means of advancing the kingdom in the church of Jesus Christ. We pray, O oh Lord, that as Chattis goes out now to enter into the fields that are white for harvest, that he would know thy presence with him, that he would know thy word and proclaim that word, and that he would rest upon thy sovereign purposes both for him and for the people that he is called to minister to. We commit him, Lord, into thy hands. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you, Dr. Barrett. We respond to the preaching of God's holy word by singing number 240, Teach Me, O Lord, Thy Way of Truth. 240, and we rise as we sing.
will be coming now to the ordination ceremony itself, and if you want to follow along, you will find in your pew this book called Forms and Prayers, and we will begin on page 69, where it says, Ordination of Ministers of the Word and Sacraments. Congregation of Jesus Christ, the Council has made known to you the name of our brother, Chadash Joshkun, who is now to be ordained to the ministry of the Word and Sacraments. The Holy Scriptures teach us that Christ Jesus gathers, protects, and preserves for himself a church out of the corrupt race of men for life eternal and gives to his church such teaching and care that she may grow in faith, love, and service. For this work, Christ, by a particular grace, uses men, appointing them to the preaching of the gospel and for the building up of his body. The Apostle Paul solemnly charged Timothy to preach the word, and our Lord Jesus charged his disciples to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The Apostle Paul declares that the Lord Jesus Christ has given the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. For this reason, the Church has recognized the distinct office of the minister of the Word. The minister of the Word is called by the command of God to preach the gospel of his kingdom. This preaching has the twofold object of calling sinners to reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ and nurturing believers in the faith and life of the kingdom of God. Ministers are called ambassadors for Christ, as though he were pleading by them, be reconciled to God. Therefore, this preaching must be addressed to all people. The preaching of the gospel must especially be addressed to the gathered congregation for the nurturing of Christian faith and life and for strengthening them against all error. Paul charged Timothy, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And he charged Titus that a minister must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. The minister of the word is called to administer the sacraments which the Lord has instituted as signs and seals of his grace. Christ gave this charge to his apostles and through them to all ministers of the word when he commanded them to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and when he said of the Lord's Supper, Do this in remembrance of me. The minister of the word 
is called to the service of prayer. In speaking of their calling, the apostles say, We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So too, it is the calling of all God's ministers to lead the people of God in supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions. The minister of the word is called together with the elders to shepherd the people of God in their Christian life, giving guidance and counsel in all that they need, exhorting them to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, and keeping the church of God in good order and discipline. They are pastors appointed to shepherd the church of Christ, which he purchased with his own blood, in keeping with the Lord's command, Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. They, together with the elders, watch over the house of God for the right and fruitful ordering of the faith and life and worship of the people of God. In their exercise of the keys of the kingdom, what they bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and what they lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Congregation, we now turn to paragraph 2, which you find on page 73, as we are ordaining a minister as a foreign missionary. So we continue here on page 73. Congregation of Jesus Christ, we now proceed to ordain Brother Chadas Choshkun as a foreign minister for service in the Republic of Turkey. It is the task of foreign missionaries to bring the gospel to foreign lands so that all peoples may come to the knowledge of salvation, to the service of the Lord, and that the Church of Jesus Christ may be established in all the earth. Jesus Christ said, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. In the person of her missionaries, the Church reaches into the lives of those who are yet without God and without hope. She brings to all lands the witness that Jesus is the Son of God, that the glory of the nations belongs to him, and that his grace, love, and redemption are offered to them in the way of repentance and faith. In this work of missions, the Church may lift up her eyes to the Lord's coming and look with longing to the day when the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. No one is able to fulfill this holy ministry in his own strength. Therefore we set our hope on Jesus Christ, our Lord, who said, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now in order that it may appear that you, Chados Choshkun, are willing to accept this office, you are now requested to stand, brother, and in the presence of God and his church to give your answer to the following questions. I will first ask all the questions and then you may answer with, I do so believe and promise God helping me. 
Do you believe that in the call of this congregation you are called by God himself to this holy ministry? Secondly, do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the Word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice, and do you reject every doctrine in conflict with them? And thirdly, do you promise to discharge the duties of your office faithfully to conduct yourself worthily of this calling and to submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church? What is then your answer, brother? Thank you, brother. Please come up and sign out the form of subscription. We shall now come to the biblical practice of the laying on of hands, and I will ask our dear brother to come and kneel if you will. You can bring a pillow if you want uh, to the first step. Our brother is not kneeling before me or before the elders, but he's kneeling before God. Please kneel on the first step here if you would, or whatever is comfortable uh, for you. And all active elders of Walker United Reformed Church and all ministers in good standing of Nape Park denominations are asked to come forward and to lay hands on our dear brother. Go then, brother, and bring the gospel to those to whom you are sent. Make disciples of them and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. May God, our Heavenly Father, who has called you to this holy ministry, enlighten you with his Spirit, strengthen you with his hand, and so govern you in your ministry that you may be engaged in it faithfully and fruitfully, to the glory of his name and to the coming of the kingdom of his Son, Jesus Christ. And you, congregation, continue in fellowship with this missionary, whom you send forth in the name of Christ. Sustain him with your fervent prayers, support him with your gifts, strengthen his hand and heart in every need. As Christ received you, be ready to receive those who are brought into the body of Christ through his ministry that there may be one flock and one shepherd. No man is of himself sufficient for these things. Let us call upon the name of God. Merciful Father, we are thankful that it pleases you by the ministry of man to gather your church out of the lost human race to live eternal. We acknowledge the gifts of this, your servant, now being sent by this people in your name, to be a messenger to others of the good news of your peace. Send now the Holy Spirit upon him. Enlighten his mind to know the truth of your word. Give him the ability to make known the mystery of the gospel with boldness. Grant him the wisdom to care for and guide the people over whom he is placed. Though his ministry 
through his ministry, build up your holy church and grant her increase in number and in virtue. Give your servant courage through your Holy Spirit to fulfill his calling against every difficulty and to be steadfast to the end. Let those whom he comes, to whom he comes, see in him the ambassador of Christ, calling them to be reconciled to God. May they receive his teaching and exhortation with all reverence, and believing in Christ through his word, become partakers of eternal life. Grant this, O Heavenly Father, for the sake of your dear Son, in whose name we pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, dear brothers. We come now to the charge of the new minister. Let me say it first, Reverend Chados Choshkun. There I said it. I say short because nobody needs three sermons. But there is something I have to say. Brother Chados, dear friend, we have been waiting for this moment for years it has been in the making from before the foundation of the world. And while I am thrilled that the time of your ordination and departure has come, I am also very sad to see you leave. I've only known you for about two years, and it seems to me as if we had been friends for a whole lifetime. When you asked me to give the charge to you this evening, I started thinking long and hard. What is the thing that I want to tell him? I, I thought, I don't want this only to be a procedure or a liturgy. I want to make this count. And I kept coming back to two texts in the New Testament. The first one, a rather obvious one, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. It is the charge that Paul gave Timothy, his spiritual son, and it encourages young Timothy to stand firm in the truth no matter what. And these are the words of Paul, who is driven by the Holy Spirit, to write them to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom... Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. 
and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. My dear brother, this is a very solemn charge as it is spoken in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is here invoked as the judge of the living of the dead. Paul, driven by the Holy Spirit, uses eschatology for motivation. And this very solemn charge refers not only to Timothy, but to every minister of the gospel. It begins with the admonition, preach the word. A pastor is always first a preacher. Don't get sidetracked. Don't be dragged into administrative issues. Don't be sidetracked by all kinds of trenches of personal battles or conflicts. Preach the word. The pastor is first and foremostly a preacher. He is not an entertainer. He is not an administrator. He is not a customer service representative for every little complaint in the congregation. But he is firstly and foremostly a preacher. And he is not a preacher of human ideas. He is not a preacher of things that tickle the ears of men, but he is a preacher of only the Word of God. And I must be quick to add that he is not only a preacher of only the Word of God, but that he is a preacher of the entire Word of God. There is a great temptation. It is so easy while claiming to be all sola scriptura, to become a quite virtuous rider of hobby horses, to preach the things that are especially important to a particular preacher himself. There is another temptation. It is also easy to preach sweet sermons only that endear us to the listeners and that leave out the challenges or the hard things of God's Word. My dear brother, you have to be a preacher of the whole counsel of God no matter what. And this has to be done in and out of season. That is, regardless of whether it causes hardship or not, regardless whether people, even your own people, are going after you or not, regardless over whether you lose friends or not, regardless of whether you'll be ever invited again to speak at any conference. You have a holy calling to preach the entire Word of God, nothing more and nothing less. I think it is no coincidence, of course, that Paul then uses the words that describe kinds of communication that rebellious men hate. All words that are trigger words today that cause even goosebumps with some in the pew. Reproof, rebuke, and exhort. These are all things that will, by and large, not endear you with fallen men especially with the kind of men and women that Paul describes, which are definitely also populating many pews nowadays. People who will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers 
to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And verse 5 then adds, As for you, always be sober-minded. Don't be carried away, neither by emotions nor by the wishes of the pew. You serve Jesus Christ, and not man and not even your congregation. You first serve Jesus Christ. It says, endure suffering, because it will come. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Don't try to make a name for yourself. Don't try to raise your profile. Serve Jesus Christ and him alone. This, brother, is what you are charged to do, to preach the whole counsel of God without fear, without fear of man, without deviating, and without waffling. In other words, you will be attacked, you will be distracted from all sides all day long, from inside and outside of the church. But you must not look to the left or to the right. Be absolutely single-minded in your devotion to your calling and have your eyes at all times fixed on Christ Jesus, who is not only your message, but also the author and finisher of our faith. Protect your flock, even if it costs your life. Protect also those and love also those who attacked you. They're also loved by Christ. Pray for your flock. Care for your flock. Love her. And this brings me to the second text that came to my mind, thinking about this charge. From 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all. This describes Christ's flock in very broad terms. At the very least, this verse reminds us of something, and that is that a human soul is a very vulnerable thing, a very fragile thing. You're called to be a physician of souls, and you're expected to know what every soul in your flock needs. The idle must be admonished. The faint-hearted must be encouraged. And the weak must be helped. As ministers, we are so often tempted to fall in pure admonition mode because we are discouraged with our flock. Things don't go as fast as we want them to go. But this mindset to fall into this solely admonition and almost bitterness mode is basically only ministerial elitism, where we lift ourselves above the flock and look down how slow they walk in their walk with Christ. Now, if you look at this one verse, according to it, uh, two out of three need not pure admonition mode, but they need help. They need encouragement. Keep this in mind, dear brother, that while there are times for admonition and even discipline, to be tender and patient with your people, no matter what they will do to you. Dear brother, what a great day this is. Soon you will be on the field where God has called you to serve. I also have to admonish you 
to not forget to look first after your own and your family's spiritual well-being. Otherwise, you're no help to anyone. Brother, keep the course. No matter what. And the course is Christ and Christ alone. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith and you can say with the apostle, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who love his appearing. And keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. O oh, brother, God knows I will miss you dearly. May the Lord our God bless you and keep you in the work that he has set before you. Amen. I'm not done yet. Dear congregation, so dear to my heart and I know so dear to our brother Chadash's heart, may I address you too with a short charge? You have done something quite out of the ordinary, I have to say, even considering Walker Church's history. You have loved, nurtured, and helped prepare a missionary family for the ministry abroad. And now you are sending them far away, to a faraway land to bring the good news to the people of Turkey who have been so long in the bondage of Satan and of Islam. And this extraordinary thing that we have done will hopefully have an encouraging effect not only to the Christians in Turkey, but also to our sister churches here in Michigan to do the same in the future. But there are also some challenges that you will be confronted with. And the greatest challenge, challenge that I can think of, considering what we are doing here, is the out-of-sight, out-of-mind temptation. Soon, the Joshkuns will be living and serving thousands of miles away, while your lives, your daily lives, your daily chores will continue with all the joys and with all its challenges and distractions. And while I'm sure none of us here tonight intends to forget about the Josh Kuhn family, to pray for them, to care for them, to think of them, to be there for them, it is a real danger to do so. We must make it a point to keep them in our hearts and minds and to pray for them and for their work regularly and constantly. As a congregation, we must have a mindset that clearly reaches beyond the city limits of Walker or of Grand Rapids, Michigan. We must have hearts and prayers that fly as far as the Great Commission goes unto the ends of the earth, not only for us to bring the bare-bones gospel to a few people here and there in faraway lands, but to make disciples of all nations. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded, and we may know that Christ is with us always, even to the end of the age. My dear friends, these are our marching orders given by our King at his enthronement as the sovereign ruler of heaven and earth. Marching orders, to be honest, that have been ignored by so many for so long. May the Joshkun family be a beloved down payment of Walker Church, a down payment for many, many more to come. And may Walker United Reformed Church be known as a church that does whatever they can to get the good news of Jesus Christ unto the ends of the earth. I know the saying and I know the temptation when we create this false dichotomy, ministry at home versus mission work, that we say, well, first comes the church at home. I think this is a very dangerous approach. It is a locus classicus of a false dichotomy because the Great Commission is Walker Church. It is not either or. There is only a church of Christ that is obedient to the Great Commission that does whatever she can to bring the good news to the ends of the earth. So a mindset, we first, is sinful and wrong because it's not us against them, but there is only one kingdom and there is only one gospel and there is only one church of Jesus Christ. So please, if you want to keep me happy, don't say something like this to me. I myself was a pagan. And an elderly American couple was bold enough they couldn't sleep anymore because of all these pagan Europeans. And in old age they came and they knocked at my door and they endured my babbling for a year. And through their grace and kindness I learned the gospel. And I came to the United States as a missionary. My dear friends, it works both ways. What a joy it is to send our first missionary family in over 110 years out from Walker Church. But Reverend Josh Kuhn is not only a missionary, but also a minister of the Word and sacraments of this church. He is on staff with Walker Church. And therefore the members of this church are, to say it in the words of Belgic Confession, Article 31, to hold the ministers of the Word and elders of the church in special esteem because of the work they do and be at peace with them without grumbling, quarreling, or fighting. This man is now a minister of this church and has to be treated as such. We are responsible for him and we promise him that we will not let him down no matter what. He will always have a home here at Walker. Walker Church has now two ministers, of which one serves in the Republic of Turkey. That's the new name of Turkey. And while he is far away, and will be far away, he is one of the two pastors of this congregation. 
Beloved congregation, this is a great day of triumph for the kingdom of Christ and for its citizens. Thank you for preparing, encouraging, loving the Josh Kuhn family. May they truly be the first of many to come who give their undivided devotion to the building of the kingdom unto the ends of the earth. Glory be to our King. Amen and amen. I may now ask uh, Elder Tom Bond to pray for us, with us. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, God of mercy, Lord of light, we come to you this evening with thanksgiving for the occasion of the ordination of our brother Chadash as minister of the word and sacraments. You led your prophet Isaiah to write how beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. You have given Chadash the desire to bring the gospel, this good news of salvation through the shed blood of Jesus Christ to his homeland which has for so long been enslaved in a hopeless religion of Islam. You have sovereignly worked in the lives of Chadash and Gulden. We marvel at each of their testimonies of how you brought them to faith in the one true God out of the tyranny of Islam. Over the years, you not only preserved them, but you brought them together as a family and you bless them with a beautiful, lovely daughter, Mevson. You open doors for Chadash to to attend Puritan and have blessed his efforts with success and met all his needs. Father, you have graciously brought him to us, this gracious occasion, which is really a celebration of your goodness and faithfulness. But now our brother, Reverend Koskin, faces many new challenges. But he doesn't have to meet them alone. You are sovereign and in all things are under and all things are under your control. You have your purposes for his ministry, and they will be accomplished. You have given him a desire to return to Turkey to minister to his countrymen about the free gift of salvation for all those who believe and put their trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We thank you for Golden and for all the gifts that you have given her to help with this ministry. We pray for the Koskin safety. Protect him from the enemy, both physical and spiritual. Give Chadash perseverance. Endow him with wisdom and courage. But most of all, may he totally rely on you, not on his own strength. May he be always a man of prayer and always follow the teaching of Psalm 119, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We as a church and a federation thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for allowing us to be a small part of this ministry. Cause us to be generous in our support for this ministry and diligent in our prayers for them. But to you, dear Heavenly Father, goes all the honor and glory. 
May you accomplish your purposes. We pray that you will will cause the hearts of the Turkish people to be open and fertile, that Chadash may boldly and faithfully sow the seed of the gospel, and that you, Almighty Lord, will bring forth a bountiful harvest of souls for the kingdom, for the building of your kingdom. And we pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, brother. We will now sing our closing hymn, A Mighty Fortress, and then Reverend Choshkun will give us the benediction, first in Turkish and then in uh, English. Then we sing the doxology, and when the service is concluded, Reverend Choshkun will be up here if you want to give him the right hand of fellowship, which I hope, and I hope also you can spend some time with us after this service. Let us now turn to selection number 444, Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and we rise as we sing. 444.
Rab sizi kutsasın ve korusun. Rab aydın yüzünü size göstersin ve size lütfetsin. Rab yüzünü size çevirsin ve size esenlik versin. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.